to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Thank you for the gift of this day, for the gift of return, for the gift of community, for the gift of being able to share in life together. I ask uh, your comfort and peace upon us all, for those uh, with us and from, for those far away, for those who are here and for those who are still wondering if it's safe to be here. I pray that you would knit this community together by your spirit in love. In Christ's name, amen. And please be seated. Well, before we even jump in here to the sermon, I want to just say a few words of thanks. A huge thanks to Nolan. Uh, Many of you may... Yeah, let's clap for Nolan. He deserves it for sure. Uh, Many of you noticed that Nolan is not Cameron. That's because I was with Cameron last night in Bend marrying him to Kestrel. Uh, So he is now no longer our facility guy or our sound guy. And we've hired a couple facility guys, my son Asher and Mindy's son (laughs) Cha. So you'll see them around helping out their first job ever. That's exciting. And and then uh, Nolan jumped in on sound. I texted him like, yesterday or the day before and said, I still haven't found anybody. And he said, I'm there. So bless your heart. Uh, He's here today and next week. And then Cameron's actually making a return for five Sundays and then he'll be gone again. So hopefully over the next seven weeks, we can find somebody who wants to do sound for five hours on a Sunday morning. So if you know anyone, talk to me, please. 17 months. That's how long it's been since we last sat here in this room in these blue plastic chairs together. These chairs are going to outlast us. (laughs) They were here when I first got here, and they are still just doing so well. I miss these chairs, and I am glad to be back with them. (laughs) Together, together singing, together reciting liturgy, together hoping, together transforming, together waking to God who is love. Of course, many of us have participated in our virtual services over the past year and a half. In fact, many are continuing to do that today virtually. And I'm really grateful. I can't imagine what life would have been like uh, during COVID if we weren't able to connect virtually as we've been able to over the last 17 months. And with that being said, I'm also grateful for this moment to be with you and to see you. I can't see your frowns or your smiles while I'm preaching, so that's okay, but I at least get to see you, and it warms my heart so much. If I'm being real honest, I'm grateful to not be looking at myself on Zoom in my pajama bottoms (laughs) as I try to say something meaningful to all of you, although I do miss pajama bottoms. I mean, haven't you all just gotten so comfortable with like the elastic waistband? That is something that we should never depart from. Uh, That's been a good takeaway for me during COVID. And getting more serious, the last year and a half has been terribly, terribly difficult, right? 
Our hearts have felt sincere fear, anguish, rage, and uncertainty. Lost ones, loved ones have been lost. Marriages and memorials have been postponed. Work and routines have been upended. Our sense of time and community have been disoriented. Sincere movement toward equity and justice has been roused, which is so good. And many of us sit here today, I think, with tired hearts. Just tired hearts. Depending on your last year and a half, you may feel all twisted up right now. Maybe even a little shaky about being back together. And there are probably others who feel over the moon about this moment. Unadulterated joy. Pearl Church is back meeting together again. And yet others of you may feel something in between twisted up and over the moon. And it's all okay. Paul writes in Romans 12, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. And that is a hope that I have for Pearl over the coming months. That we can weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice without judgment, with only acceptance and love, for truly COVID has impacted all of us differently. And that brings me to another hope, which is that over the coming months, we can each be more intimately known by one another as Pearl holds sacred space for every person. And as we weep and shake and laugh and share that our lives might be buoyed by love in community community, which is so good. Throughout August, as many of you know, it's our tradition at Pearl for members from the oversight team to take turns sharing a little bit about themselves and to share about their hearts for our community. And for those of you who don't know, the oversight team is a group of volunteers plus a pastor who take turns caring for the overall health of our church, and they do so in three-year terms. And I love that as we begin meeting together again, that it just happens to be in August and that you get to hear directly from those who so faithfully love and lead our church. And so over the course of this month, after hearing from me, we're going to hear from Chuck, we'll hear from Linda, we'll hear from Carrie, we'll hear from Rachel. And I'm so excited for you to get to know them a little bit better and get to know their hearts for our community. This morning, I'm going to start by sharing a little bit about myself. And then, as you know from last week, Pearl Church is turning 20 years old. That is hard to believe. What you may not know is that August 1st is the birth date of Pearl. And so, happy birthday to us. Today is the day. I'd like to share a little bit about the past 20 years, and then I'd like to share some thoughts that are in my heart for the next 20 years. A little bit about myself. My name is Mike Roth. I was born and raised in beloved Portland. I did not come to you from California. We do love all Californians at Pearl Church. I have six sisters and two brothers. Uh, seven of my siblings are adopted. We're spread throughout California, Oregon, and Washington. My parents had been married for 43 years until my mom passed away from cancer in 2015. My dad just entered retirement. And he lives out in Malala. He moved there for the quiet life. <laughs> Jen and I have been married for 24 years. We have three kids. You are not going to believe how big they are when you see them. Asher has transformed from a boy into a man. It's ungodly. <laughs> He's turning 16 this week. Then Phoebe is uh, 14 and Miles is 12. So they're just really growing. With a group of seven people, I helped to start Pearl. I began as an associate pastor for the first five years, and then in 2006, I became the lead pastor, which has been for me one of my greatest honors and joys, and at times, difficulties. Uh, but I'm so thankful for this work and for this job and to be able to share in life together with all of you. Honestly, I've grown up here at Pearl. 
When we first began, Jen and I had been married for only four years. We had no kids. I had one year left in a Masters of Divinity program, and I was a Christian formed by a lifetime of conservative evangelical experiences. However, through aging, a couple more theological degrees, and so many experiences with you here at Pearl, I've evolved. And I would say that we at Pearl have evolved. And so when people ask me what I do for a living, I say, well, I teach and speak and write about nonviolent theology in the Christian tradition that intends to nurture transformation and peace. <laughs> and that's a mouthful. But, but, but believe me, it's better to give that mouthful to, than to tell people in Portland that I'm a pastor. <laughs> because they just already put me into some kind of box in which I don't belong. And in which I don't think that Pearl Church belongs. And so that big lead-in, I think, gives some context and usually sparks some really fun conversations. No longer a bastion of empirical truth. That's what I thought the church was at one point in my life. No longer a bastion of empirical truth, but the church, a glorious religious tradition that makes space for people to belong, to think deeply about ultimate reality, and to graciously follow in the way of Jesus as we continue to wake up to and be shaped by divine love. That's why we exist. That is the work of this church. If I were pressed to use just one word that gets us closer to the essence of Pearl's story over the last 20 years, I would use the word repentance. Now, I know that's a loaded word, almost as much as our TV screens here. <laughs> but remember, repentance is about something much more than feeling terrible about yourself, confessing that terribleness to God, and committing to stop doing it. In the New Testament, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. The Greek root for this word combined to mean go beyond the mind that you have. Or put simply, change your mind. Change your mind. The difficulty with this is that as we grow, churches included, we usually become more and more set in what we think. We become more certain. More adult, less child, which usually means less openness, less mystery, less wonder, less hunger and thirst to learn and to grow. Fewer questions and more, always more answers. And if you're a church, always more dogma and more doctrine and more policies and more bylaws. More and more and more and more. But you see, the spirit of repentance requires openness to new ways of seeing and thinking. It necessitates humility. There is much for me, for us to learn and to become. And it insists, it insists on an unending journey of growth and transformation. At least that's the invitation. It's like when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in the middle of the night about being born again and again and again and again because Jesus says, you never know where the Spirit is going to blow and breathe and work its magic. And so we want to remain open to that invitation to see things new, to see things different, to realize that more belongs in God than we ever thought possible. And that, you see, is the essence of Pearl Church's story. This morning, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but for now, for this morning, what I can do is briefly share about Pearl's repentance, which I believe points to a trajectory, a trajectory within our faith community that's truly good. When we began Pearl, we started a non-denominational evangelical church. We did that because we came from various evangelical denominations. 
And so we basically started a conservative evangelical church with evangelical dogma and evangelical doctrine. And to be real honest, at the time, we weren't even questioning the goodness or the badness of this dogma and doctrine. It was just like, it was just our native language, like a fish in water that doesn't realize that it's in water until it's out of the water. It just was what we knew. Until over time, through our experiences of sharing in Christian life together, that really does it, right? Life together, experiencing diverse people, that really does something to us. We slowly began to realize the harm and the tribalism and the exclusion and the fear that resulted from our native language. And so slowly, step by step, like a child learning to stand and then to walk and then to run, Pearl Church has repented. That is to say, our collective mind has been changed again and again and again. As we've come to realize ever more clearly that the divine is truly love. And that the divine is truly a triune relationship, not of exclusion, but of inclusion, inviting everyone not just to be at the table, but to recognize that everyone is already at the table because every person belongs in God. And so here are some examples of how Pearl has repented over the years. When we first began our church, our doctrine did not allow women to lead or to teach. And to this day, I feel so much shame about that. I wish I could go back to 2001 and I could start the Pearl Church that we have today. And I can't undo the way that we started or the way that we saw the world when we started. And so annually, when I talk about our story and our repentance, it's a fresh opportunity for me to say to women, I am so sorry that we started that church. Keeping this short, our native language did not have room for women to lead until we started Pearl and woke to the fact that we were surrounded by incredible women who had so much to say and so much to do. But even then, our native language didn't allow women to be on the board until we started Pearl and woke to the fact that we were surrounded by incredible women who would benefit Pearl by being on the board. And so going against our traditions and contextualizing a few, really a very few obscure passages by Paul, we've made room for women to serve at every level. And very literally, that repentance, that click forward, helped us to begin imagining and experiencing a non-gendered divinity. And we desperately need that today. Shortly after that transition, because of the way we worship at Pearl with liturgy in the church calendar. So if you're new to Pearl and you're not used to the liturgy and you're not used to the church calendar, I just want to encourage you to give it a shot. Just give it a shot for a year and see how it might shape you over the course of a year. Just try it out and see. If you're not familiar with it, it can be somewhat awkward. But we find great meaning in it here at Pearl. Because of the way we worship, we began getting young families with high church backgrounds who started having kids and they wanted to baptize their children. But you see, our native language didn't have space for that type of expression until we started Pearl and woke to the fact that from the very beginning, infant baptism was a part of the church. And so going against our traditions and appreciating church history, we made space for infant baptism. And I'll tell you what, the first time I held a family's child in my arms and poured water over their head declaring the love of God and the belonging of a child in the family of God over a child who is yet to do or say or think anything, for me that has become one of the most beautiful expressions of gospel, of good news, of, of the essence of what grace is if it's truly unmerited favor. To declare that favor over a child who thinks or believes nothing, that I think is gospel. 
And very literally, that repentance, that movement forward helped us to begin imagining a divinity who loves and includes every person. Shortly after that, we began to realize that our dogma and doctrine weren't helping us to live Christian life together, insisting that people believe X, Y, and Z, or else. Can I hear an or else? Or else. Religious people are so good at or else, aren't we? Oh, we're so good at it. Insisting that people believe X, Y, and Z, or else, we started to realize did not result in human flourishing. It just didn't. It resulted in people hiding their questions and diminishing their unbelief. And to be a part of the community, they actually had to disintegrate themselves to belong. And so we move from dogma and doctrine to the Apostles' Creed, saying this creed situates our community in the life and message of Jesus. And while being a bit better, a creed is still a catechism for belief up here in our big brains, which I think has the same effect. People hiding their questions, diminishing their unbelief, and fragmenting themselves to be a part of this community. It unnecessarily communicated to people that they were not Christian or that they could not belong if they did not believe these particular truths. And so going against our traditions and appreciating church history prior to the fourth century, we return to a more ancient way of being Christian, which is to simply, merely, wonderfully walk in the ways of Jesus as we share in life together. And so, now instead of dogma and doctrine, we have three rhythms. We're cultivating a sacred story that we read and talk about and wrestle with and are shaped by. We uphold these scriptures as our sacred text and, and we chew on it together and think about its goodness together. And then we're cultivating a common table around which every person belongs and has a voice. And we say that the expression of this story and the extension of this table, that is to say stories and systems, stories and systems, stories and systems, as we've learned over the last few years, stories and systems deeply shape how people see the world. We believe that this story and this table for everybody function to animate our lives not by shame or guilt or duty, but by love. And love is truly that which shapes a heart and changes a person. And this is good, so very good, because it is the expression of love, not the affirmation of belief that produces fruit in the heart of a person. And one more example of our repentance. In 2015, we broadened our marriage practice to make room for the queer community to belong at Pearl and to enjoy covenantal life together which wasn't part of our native language or church traditions, but which we came to realize was good. So very good. And very literally, that repentance, that movement forward, helped us to begin imagining a divinity who pansexually delights and affirms and undergirds covenantal love. One of the most remarkable realizations that I've had at Pearl is that in the beginning, we thought we could save the world. That was what it was all about. We're going to save the world. But the reality is that the women and the babies and the queer community, the marginalized people for whom we've made space, have saved Pearl. Because their diversity reflects the diverse divinity who is love and who is inviting us all to wake up to a gospel that is truly good news. Now, I know that many of you have heard these stories before. I tell them every August, and I'm going to keep telling them, and it's important to tell. Stories of repentance remind us that everyone is in process. It's good to be reminded of that. Stories of repentance remember that we too have been violent and tribal. It's good to remember that. Stories of repentance nurture humility because we never have and never will have everything lovingly figured out. We will forever be on a journey toward divine love. 
And if you're a woman or a child or a queer person, you cannot hear from the church, I'm sorry enough. You cannot hear it enough. And I want to say it all the time. Whew, that doesn't happen on Zoom. It's good to be with you. That's the last 20 years. Here are just a few thoughts about the next 20 years. I want Pearl to proactively become an anti-racist community in which every person feels not only safe, but recognized as a vessel of the divine who has much to teach us. The board's been talking about this a lot, and we're going to talk about it at our annual members meeting in September, that we are going to work together as an organization because systems matter, as an organization toward becoming an intentionally anti-racist community. I'm so excited about that. I want Pearl to be a safe place for people who are looking for a nonviolent community of faith to grow up into and to grow old at. And I want Pearl to thoughtfully articulate a way of being Christian in 2021 that is historical but reasonable and provocative and truly deeply good as a good gospel should be. I think my greatest gratitude of the last 17 months at Pearl for me personally is that I had the opportunity to dive deep and work hard on putting together a class that intends to answer the important question, what is good Christian faith? And if you found your way to Pearl or you've stayed at Pearl, that question really matters to you, doesn't it? What is good Christian faith? So far, we've offered the class twice. We've had about 15, 16 people take it. My hope is over the years that everyone can take the class. Not because it's going to give you all of the right answers, right? That's just more of violent religion, to replace these answers with these answers. Rather, the class intends to establish a whole new way, yet ancient lens for what it means to be Christian. Over the past seven, eight years, I've heard more and more people declare to me more and more loudly that the way in which Christianity was given to them is broken and no longer works. They can no longer call their Christianity good. And for many of their reasons, I agree. And I believe with all of my heart that brokenness, let's call it chaos. Chaos is the very place that the Spirit of God hovers over, desiring to bring about new life. This is what we see in the creation account. And so my hope is that Pearl can be a safe place for people to deconstruct. Yes, deconstruct away. But rather than living life together in a perpetual tomb, which over time becomes soiled and dark, that's where deconstruction ends. My hope is that Pearl can also be a place where truly good faith can rouse new life. Encourage us to shake off our funeral clothes with bad religion and invite us to live into something wonderfully new. For many Christians in America, the gospel has something to do with believing that people are inherently depraved, that they must believe that the blood of Jesus dying on a cross allows God to forgive them, enter into their hearts and save them from eternal damnation. And in the beginning, that was our native language. Until we started Pearl and woke to a more ancient, more Jesus-like gospel. And so going against our traditions and appreciating Jesus entering into the temple in Luke chapter 4 and unrolling the scroll of Isaiah, today at Pearl, we declare with our Lord these words, which could lead any protest down any street, freedom from bondage, healing for sick, release for oppressed, and the proclamation of God's favor on everyone and everything. That has to wake an amen in us, doesn't it? Yeah. 
Jesus goes into the temple, unrolls the scroll, and he proclaims good news. Freedom from bondage, healing for sick, release for oppressed, the proclamation of God's favor on everyone and everything. These words describe the soul of this community. These words are our happy birthday song. And to those of you who sing this song with us, to those of you who attend and serve and faithfully donate so that we can continue waking to God's goodness and making room for an ever-increasing diversity of people who reflect the intoxicating diversity of God who resides in every person, I want to say thank you. For those of you who have been here for almost 20 years, thank you. Carl and Abby, thank you. Pearl would not be Pearl without you. For those of you who've been here for 10 years, thank you. The Berquist, you've been here for almost 20 years. Thank you. Brian, thank you. Everybody listening to this sermon, thank you. For those of you who've been here for five years, thank you. For those of you who found us during COVID, thank you. For those of you who are beginning to share in Christian life with us, thank you. We have not arrived. We are on a journey. And our church's journey is one of repentance in which we want to open ourselves daily to what new might be taught to us. Our hope is that God's unfathomable love would move us to accept and to extend and to break down every barrier until no more barriers exist. That's what I want to be a part of for the next 20 years. And you're all invited to be a part of it with me. Let us pray. God, on this 20th birthday of Pearl, we give thanks. Thank you for the gift of life together. Thank you for the joy of growing up together. Thank you for the wonder and the waking that has led to our ongoing repentance. Please keep and bless this church, especially now, when much love and light are needed. May we radiate your all-encompassing love even today. this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.